from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know whether this is uh, a safety warning for you or just a pro tip if you ever want to do this, whatever this is. Don't do it on a night uh, after a night when you get no sleep. Just warning and advice. Now, I'm um, I'm here at the New Orleans Showdome. When I'm uh, in Los Angeles, or Santa Monica, actually, I record this program in my home studio. And it, um, you know, it's it's a studio, but it's a home. It's, it's a studio away from studio. And um, there's air conditioning there and, you know, other things that a home generates in terms of noise. And I do what I can to... Uh, Alleviate that, but sometimes you hear some background noise. Now here I am in New Orleans in a thoroughly professional public radio studio. And can you can you hear this? Yeah, me too. Yeah, so that's going to be with us for a while. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, there are these things called forever chemicals. Now that doesn't mean that they don't refuse to turn into uh, minerals or water. Well, water's a chemical. Anyway, they're forever chemicals, not because they never stop being chemicals, but because they never stop being around in the environment. They are um, PFAs. They're dubbed forever chemicals for their durability. Congratulations. We never lose you. And they're in everything in drinking water systems, particularly around the U.S., and linked to adverse health effects. That's why they put them in the water, for the adverse health effects. Um, The uh, journal Science has now published an article about science, oddly enough, a way to destroy forever chemicals using a common ingredient in soap, what is that, and an organic solvent. Per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, PFAS, are family. They're a family. Come on, America's all about families, isn't it? A family of nearly 5,000 types of chemicals that largely resist degradation. They repel oil and water and withstand high temperatures without breaking down. They've been used in several non-stick, water-repellent, and fire-resistant industrial and consumer products for decades, so we're uh, we're full of them now. Cookware, sure. Food packaging, sure. Firefighting materials, you bet. Because they resist degradation, PFAS can accumulate in people, livestock, fish, and wildlife if they enter the environment through production or waste streams. Don't be peeing out your PFAS. The chemists, though, discovered that a mixture of Sodium hydroxide, or lye. Why weren't we advised to take that for COVID? You have to ask a guy who doesn't know anything about lye. Combined with dimethyl sulfoxide, a common organic solvent, in water heated from 176 to 248 degrees Fahrenheit, that mixture can break the strong bonds that hold together perfluorocarboxylic 
acids, PFCAs, one of the largest classes of PFAs. The reaction leaves behind fluoride ions that can be easily captured and sprayed on your teeth. No, or uh, and carbon-containing products. Byproducts, actually. Researchers said the new mild process is unlike, unlike many other harsh and energy-intensive PFAS destruction techniques, which include incineration, electrochemical degradation, it's my favorite kind of degradation, and supercritical water oxidation. I've been guilty of that myself. That class of chemicals has recently received increased scrutiny from the federal government. The APA has issued new health advisories for four PFAS compounds. Why, just this year. So it seems right about time that a new way of destroying forever chemicals makes its appearance on the scene. Yes, we always lead off with good news here on Hello, Welcome to the Show.
silver will uh, turn into gold in time. Sounds like a crypto pitch. But help from uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. Hello, everybody. I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. We have um, we have been put into a new debate as of this week about the fairness of um, absolving certain people, students, college students, of a certain percentage of their college loan done by uh, President Biden. Is that his name? And um, so, you know, we're we're mindful of the issue of uh, what's fair when it comes to students and uh, college expenses. In which context, I present to you now some news related to uh, our favorite quadrennial pastime, the Olympic Games. This is um, in California. Legislation to provide athletes training for the Olympics and the Paralympics in California with eligibility for in-state tuition. That means they pay the lower fee at state institutions for students who are living in California. That's been passed by the Senate and the Assembly. It only awaits the governor's signature. Assembly Bill 2747. American athletes training in California as part of a program endorsed by the U.S. Olympic Committee will have resident classification when it comes to determining tuition and fees at the University of California. That will last until July 1, 2032, which will be the end of the four years of the L.A. Olympiad, which starts in 2028. So just their entire collegiate career, really, you could think. Yeah, I mean, it sounds fair to you, doesn't it? Get a fr- get um, discount college just for training, not even being in the Olympics. I don't think that's going to make national news, do you? And now... News of the warm, won't you? Copyrighted feature. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Well, you ever use Google? No, I mean to... Uh, Aside from just random searches, you ever use Google to uh, calculate the climate impact of your flights when you're flying somewhere? Well, the way Google calculates the climate impact of your flights has now changed, according to the BBC. Flights now appear to have much less impact on the environment than before. And the airlines and the airplane makers... Didn't do a thing. The world's biggest search engine, according to the BBC, has taken a key driver of global warming out of its online carbon flight calculator. Like that. Well, not like that. They didn't do that. If, if Google worked like that, then I'd be impressed. Google has airbrushed a huge chunk of the aviation industry's climate impacts from its changes, uh, from its pages, says Dr. Doug Poor, 
Parr. No sleep, ladies and gentlemen. Chief scientist of Greenpeace. Google hosts, hosts nine out of every ten online searches. This could have wide repercussions for people's travel decisions. The company said it made the change following consultations with its, in quotes, industry partners. Oh, those industry partners. It affects the, cal- the carbon calculator embedded in the company's Google Flights search tool. You'll uh, have come across Google Flights. you ever tried to find a flight on Google? It appears towards the top of search results, allows you to scour the web. It could sure use it. No, for uh, flights and fares. It also offers to calculate the emissions generated by your journey. Google says this feature is designed, quote, to help you make more sustainable travel choices, unquote, along with their industry partners. In July, Google decided to exclude all the global warming impacts of flying except CO2. Some experts say Google's calculations now represent just over half of the real impact on the climate of flights. It now significantly understates the global global impact of aviation on the climate, says uh, Professor David Lee of Manchester Metropolitan University, the author of the most comprehensive scientific assessment of the contribution of air travel to global warming. Flying affects the climate in lots of ways in addition to the CO2 produced by burning aviation fuel. These uh, effects include the creation of long, thin clouds high up in the atmosphere, known as contrails, which trap heat radiated by the Earth, leading to a net warming effect on our little old planet. These additional warming impacts mean that although aviation is only responsible for about 2% of global CO2 emissions, the sector is actually responsible for about 3.5% of the warming caused by human activity. And here's good news. It's a sector that's only going to get bigger. Since 2000, emissions have risen by 50%, and the industry is expected to grow by more than 4% every year for the next two decades, according to the International Energy Agency, or IEA. Google is open for business, uh, no, about its calculations for the tool posting the methodology on a U.S. software website called GitHub. GitHub. The uh, BBC reports Google posted a note on GitHub saying it was changing how it assesses the impact of aviation. Begin by saying, does Google, it has made the change following recent discussions with academic and industry partners. Lunch? dinner. It acknowledges these factors are critical to include in the model and cites the emphasis given to them in the latest report by the UN's climate science body, the IPCC. When uh, approached by the BBC, Google reiterated this point, saying it strongly believes that non-CO2 effects of aviation should be included in its calculations. Yet on GitHub, Google says, quote, the details of how and when to include these factors requires Well, yes, the details requires. All right, Google. Um, More input from our stakeholders. I wonder what they're doing with those steaks. Well, they're not eating them. The reason for this, Google said in a reply to a request for comment, it was the company's priority was, quote, the accuracy of the individual flight estimates, 
unquote, that it provides to its consumers. It's now working with academics to better understand how contrails and other warming impacts affect specific flights. The uh, government of Britain takes a different approach. It recommends companies reflect the additional impacts of flying by multiplying the CO2 emissions a flight generates by a factor of 1.9, which uh, has the effect of almost doubling their impact to account for those non-CO2 effects. UK's Department for Business, Energy, and Industrial Strategy warns the value of this multiplier is subject to significant uncertainty, but says there's currently no better way of taking these effects into account. Well, how about ignoring them? That works. Transport and Environment, a group campaigning to reduce the environmental impact of travel, agrees. Current scientific knowledge is sufficient to state that non-CO2 effects represent two-thirds of the total climate impact of aviation. The industry has hidden this problem for decades, says this um, group campaigning to reduce travel impact on the environment. Google should show customers the non-CO2 effects for each flight, as the European Parliament has proposed to do. Unquote. Says the BBC, Google's changes are likely to have far-reaching effects. The company's carbon calculation methodology is widely recognized as the industry standard in aviation. That's like uh, us having the industry standard in uh, quiet studios right here. The uh, Google calculation is used by Skyscanner, one of the biggest online travel agencies in the world, more than 100 visitors a month. I think they probably mean customers, unless they just come come by to look at the equipment. Hmm. A number of other major online travel businesses, including Booking.com, Expedia, TripAdvisor, and Visa, have said they intend to use the Google carbon calculation tool, too. Google has a chief sustainability officer, you'll be glad to know. She says the company aims to build tools that enable travelers and business around the world to prioritize sustainability. But industry experts tell the BBC the decision to change its methodology will have the opposite effect. Well, opposites attract. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. Right here, right now, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast, and right here, right now. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart, smart world. Well... Here's a little gift that COVID gave us, I think. Students being allowed to uh, take their tests online so they don't have to gather and become a uh, super spreader. You don't want your higher education test to be a super spreader, do you? Of course you don't. So what do the uh, colleges and universities do to make sure there's no cheating? when students take online tests. They engage in room scans. 
that's a component of many online proctoring services, a federal judge this week ruled that they violate the Constitution. Oh, that thing. Judge Philip Calabresi, J. Philip Calabresi to you in Ohio, sided with the plaintiff in a ruling it has been described by some legal observers as injecting a note of caution about the use of the controversial software, which exploded during the pandemic, and still they use it. I guess they gathered up the shards. Hi, we're the shards. The plaintiff, a Cleveland State University student, was asked to perform a brief scan of his bedroom in early 2021 before taking a remote test. He argued the request uh, violated the Fourth Amendment rights that include protections from unreasonable searches. Federal District Court judge ruled this week that room scans do violate the Constitution, signing with the plaintiff. The uh, many colleges and universities that assert online proctoring software is necessary to safeguard academic integrity and curb cheating among students, while uh, acknowledging Cleveland State's legitimate purpose in doing so, the judge maintained that the student's expectation of privacy at home is one that society views as reasonable and that lies at the core of the Fourth Amendment's protections against government intrusion. Unquote. That uh, challenged the university's arguments, which included statements that room scan are standard industry-wide practice. Oh, well then. As long as it's standard, it's got to be okay. Don't you think? And that students frequently acquiesce in their use. Come on, universities, you can't come back up with better arguments than that. You should lose. More about Google. Google search results and maps will clearly label healthcare clinics that provide abortion services, reducing the chances that women in crisis will be misdirected to, quote, clinics that don't, in fact, offer health care. This follows the Dobbs decision by the Supreme Court, which you know about. According to a Google spokesperson, thus spoke a Google spokesperson, the update, updates have been in the works for many months, but the tech giant has been under fire from lawmakers and its own employees over search and map results directing those seeking an abortion to so-called pregnancy crisis clinics, clinics which were... Uh, well, counsel women against ending their pregnancies instead of health care facilities that provide the procedure. So queries for places that provide abortions will now display a label that says provides abortions. If Google can confirm, the facility does, in fact, offer the procedure. For other locations that might, but for which Google doesn't have confirmation, it will say might not provide abortions. As to how Google would confirm whether a clinic provides abortion, it has its ways, apparently, according to the Register, the British Tech Journal. According to a spokesperson, Google gets confirmation the old-fashioned way, picking up the phone and calling businesses directly. Google wants to make it easier to expand a, a search for abortion providers. To this end, it will let users know if there are no relevant places nearby and will give an option to search farther away. 
This change won't only apply to abortion providers. Other places like mental health clinics, physiotherapy centers, and travel clinics the hell is a travel clinic, will also be included in the farther away searches. Google plans to expand this feature. When people turn to Google to find local information, we aim to help them easily explore the range of places available so they can determine which are most helpful to them. According to a Google statement, we're now rolling out an update that makes it easier for, to find places that offer the services they've searched for or broaden the results to see more options. I remember Seymour Options. He used to work at the bank. These changes came about a week after hundreds of Googlers demanded that the CEO do a better job protecting people seeking abortions and extending the health benefits full-time employees enjoy to contract workers at Google. Even before Supreme Court ruled in Dobbs, U.S. lawmakers sent a letter to the chief executive of Alphabet, which owns Google, urging him to do something about misleading search results and ads that direct users to anti-abortion clinics that try to talk women out of ending their unwanted pregnancies. In the letter, they noted that 35%, 37% just gone up, of Google Maps results and 11% of Google search results for abortion clinic near me and abortion pill in states with abortion bans ended up being for the so-called pregnancy crisis centers. One of the Alphabet employees' demands in their demands of management is that Google fix this by removing fake abortion providers from the results to these queries. So enough about Google, but still in the smart world. Let's go crypto, shall we? Before it's too late, more than 30 employees at the bankrupt crypto exchange Voyager will receive a million and a half dollars in bonus pay as the company scrambles to return customers' funds frozen. Frozen, I say, on its platform. Bankruptcy court judges approved Voyager's request to award key staff this week. Voyager argued it needed to award top workers as a way to keep them working for the company as it restructures its financial assets. <laughs> These employees provide services that are considered essential for the company, such as accounting. Oh, that old thing. IT infrastructure, legal, mm-hmm, and the like. They're going to get paid 22.5% of their annual salaries. That would be their bonus. Voyager employees have legitimate reasons to be concerned about their long-term employment status given the ongoing sale process and uncertainty of future operations, said the company's lawyers. Key employees are necessary regardless of whether there is a sale or standalone reorganization. Key employees are necessary. Sometimes you need to hire a lawyer to state the obvious, don't you? The official committee of unsecured creditors appointed to represent those who are owed money objected. They criticized Voyager for trying to award staff, award staff when consumers were yet to be compensated for their losses. Voyager had provided zero evidence, they said, that employees would resign without the extra pay, although there is 
the little matter of the obvious. Although the committee argued that employees are unlikely to resign, given that the job market in the crypto industry is, quote, relatively barren, unquote, given the latest layoffs from companies like Coinbase. But uh, Voyager and the creditors reached an agreement about the bonuses when the crypto exchanged promise to whittle down the total bonus payments to $1.6 million and slash other costs to, say, $4.5 million elsewhere. Those who stored cryptocurrencies in their accounts have yet to be compensated. Voyager did return about $219 million of the funds to customers who shared or stored their funds as cash within the business. So cash turned out to be better in terms of your ability to get it back when trouble strikes than coins, crypto tokens. The company says consumers could start filing claims for their crypto coins, coins, coins now. Ready, set, Oh, and one more item about Google. Google plans to show ads that educate people about disinformation techniques. Following a successful experiment by Cambridge University, Google Jigsaw, it tackles online security dangers, will run ads on YouTube, which is one pocket of Google to another, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. Researchers found the videos improved people's ability to recognize manipulative content. Here's an ad about manipulative content. It's manipulative content, isn't it? No, it's educational. They'll be shown in Slovakia, the Czech Republic, and Poland to combat fake news about Ukrainian refugees. Google says the exciting findings showed how social media can actively preempt the spread of disinformation. Well, that would be a new direction for them. It's a smart, smart, smart smart world. I think that's a song we've already heard. I think we'd rather hear a song we haven't yet heard.
From New Orleans, this is Le Show. And uh, speaking of classification, that's one of the issues. Um, we don't know yet whether it's central or peripheral to the raid, well, the search of Mar-a-Lago a couple of weeks ago by the FBI looking for government documents, which um, by definition belong to the government, that were found in uh, the former president's house down in Florida, down Florida way. The um, markings on hundreds of pages would indicate that there were several level, several levels of classification involved in those documents. The president's the former president, the former former president's defense is, I declassified them all just by taking them home. There is no paperwork that's been reported that reflects that declassification process. But reports from the Justice Department, which is um, still investigating this whole shebang, indicate that the classification level, if any, is not the crucial factor in in all of this. It's that the government owns the stuff and has been trying for almost two years to get it back. And uh, among other defenses, Mr. Trump has made over time have been, it's mine! So either... um, He disagrees with the Justice Department or he thinks he's the government. One of the two. Um, The the interesting thing is that he he didn't store them at his golf course at Bedminster in New Jersey, which would have been closer to Washington, D.C., where the documents supposedly lived. He chose to store them at his beachfront home down in Florida. There must be something about that place. The first half of classified is class. No one knows more about that than me 
That's why I bought a place called Mar-a-Lago. It's a first-class place for info to be. I declassified everything that I brought here. Just by reclassing it in my mind. Then the no-clash FBI staged a raid here and stole every piece of paper they could find. Apologies of the week. 
so sorry. A church in Texas. Imagine. No, a church in Texas has apologized to uh, the creator of Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and agreed to pay legal damages. Look at that. After staging an unauthorized production of the hit Broadway musical whose songs and dialogues had been changed to include Christian themes. Produced by the non-denominational church The Door, McAllen. I guess that would have been McAllen, Texas, the production was followed by a sermon stating that God could help people struggling with homosexuality. It was live-streamed fifth of this month, clips subsequently shared on social media, and lawyers for the official Ham- Hamilton sent a cease-and-desist order. Church pastor Roman Gutierrez personally apologized to Miranda and the writers and producers of Hamilton for staging the production without permission that infringed on the rights and copyrights of many. It's never permissible to alter an autistic work, such as Hamilton without legal permission. The statement continued, our ministry will use this moment as a learning opportunity about protected artistic works and intellectual property. They added a scene in which Hamilton repents and accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior. We can't say they didn't try. Now, news of the record business on August, and and apologies therein. On August 14th, Capitol Records announced it had signed FN Mika, a digital rapper, whatever that means, and TikTok influencer, well, you know what that means, described by the label as the world's first augmented reality artist to sign with a major label. Press release from the uh, artist's publicist described Mika, FN Mika, as an AI-powered robot rapper. You know the world needs it. His first, his, its first single on the label was Florida Water, which featured Ghana, I'm sorry, Gunna, and gaming streamer Clicks. As of today, FN Mika is no longer on a major label. Capital has announced that it has severed ties with the rapper, according to the New York Times. Capital has severed ties with the project immediately, effective. We offer our deepest apologies to the black community for our insensitivity in signing this project without asking enough questions about equity and the creative process behind it. We thank those who have reached out to us with constructive feedback in the past couple of days. Your input was invaluable as we came to the decision to end our association with the project. Unquote. Just hours before Capital made the announcement, an active group called Industry Blackout released a statement calling for the label to cut ties with FN Mika. It specifically noted Gunna's involvement with the project while being incarcerated on RICO charges. The project has been criticized after clips went viral of the rapper using the N-word in a song. People pointed to an image shared on one of Mika's accounts of the rapper being brutalized by the police. Factory Now co-founder Anthony Martini said last year, FN Mika was voiced by a human, but its lyrics and song structures came from artificial intelligence. 
He continued, The old model of finding talent is inefficient and unreliable. It requires spending time scouring the internet, traveling to shows, flying to meetings, expending resources, all in search of the magic combination of qualities that just might translate into a superstar act. Even with all the money labels devote to finding talent, the success rate is a pitiful 1%. Now we can literally custom create artists using elements proven to work, greatly increasing the odds of success. Even if we can get the 2% success rate, then we've doubled the industry standard, unquote. Anthony Martini. Sounds either like a wise man or a wise guy. Here's uh, more cancel culture in action, maybe. German Twitter lit up with instant indignation this week after a German publisher announced it is pulling two children's books from its lineup amid accusations of racism and cultural appropriation. Both books were inspired by Wild West stories from the wildly popular, in Germany at least, and increasingly controversial 19th century German writer Karl May. His books imagine the childhood of May's most famous creature, creation, the fearless Apache brave Winnetou a fictional Native American chief who made his first appearance in 1875, whose adventures have been told and retold in numerous novels. His books have sold around 200 million copies worldwide. So Mr. Martini must like him, as well as in several movies, even an animated series. The new titles were to accompany the release of The Young Chief Winnetou, a movie which hit German, German theaters last week. Now there are calls to pull the film as well. The publisher, citing lots of negative feedback around the romanticized and cliched depiction of Native Americans in the books, dropped the titles from its program and apologized if it had hurt anyone's feelings. Winnetou has been a trending topic online since, with the majority of posters over what German tabloid Bild termed the woke hysteria. That was, quote, burning the hero of our childhood at the stake, unquote. Beyond the online fury, says Deutsche Welle newspaper in Germany, is a particularly real and German love affair with the Wild West. It can be traced directly back to Karl May and his idealized depiction of 19th century America. May's characters are as present in the German popular imagination as the figures in Grimm's fairy tales. The problem is that May's vision of Native American culture is a sort of uh, utopia, is little more than convenient fiction that ignores the nastier truths about the genocide of indigenous people by white settlers. May, May's case doesn't get helped by the fact he was a white man writing about a culture of which he had no first-hand knowledge. He only visited America once and didn't get further west than New York. So he could learn about the Mohawks. Carvana, the giant online retailer of used cars, says here, although I think Carvana sells new cars too, don't they? Oh. Where's that lady when I need her? Apologized this week to Lauren Smith for a month-long ordeal it put her through after the car she bought from them broke down. Along with the apology, Carvana sent Smith a $2,000 check, which included $1,700 as reimbursement for the 
towing and storing charges she paid out of pocket and $300 for the headaches it caused her. The apology and check came days after Smith's plight was featured in uh, the Boston Globe. It was critical of Carvana. She talked on the phone a half dozen times with customer service representatives, during which time she was repeatedly assured the company would take care of everything after the car broke down. You know, come pick it up, take it away, give her a new one. I think I've heard that stuff in the ads. But Carvana did not follow through with its promises to have the car towed from the spot where she was told to leave it. And then it was towed, and it racked up expensive storage fees that the company insisted Smith pay. She refused, saying the charges were due to Carvana's mistakes. Then a Carvana manager let it be known that Smith's credit could be severely damaged if she didn't agree to pay the charges, which Smith said felt like bullying. She did pay the $1,700, but Carvana's position changed quickly after the column in the newspaper. And news from Canada, apology, this week's Canadian apology, facing lawyers for the Nova Scotia mass shooting victims' families and an inquiry into the tragedy. See, they have mass shootings in Canada. The commissioner of the Mounties, Brenda Lucky, apologized for the force not living up to their expectations. Not being what you needed us to be. I need, I need them to be the Mounties. It's just me. News of our apologies, ladies and gentlemen. The apologies of the week. It is a copyrighted feature of this very broadcast. And now quickly... News of the Godly. Here's a sort of an odd one. An Ottawa woman who has devoutly cataloged the clergy sexual abuse scandal in Canada for more than a decade has decided to shut down her encyclopedic blog known as Sylvia's Site. In a recent post, Sylvia McEachern said she will no longer update the site or allow people to post comments because of concerns that, quote, she may be doing more harm than good. She's a practicing Catholic, said she's been deeply pained to say, see diocese after diocese forced to sell off churches to settle victims' damage claims. Countless good, decent Roman Catholics are suffering because the diocese was sued for the sins and cries crimes of defiant, deviant priests who, in pursuing their own perverted passions, betrayed the faithful entrusted to their care, their fellow priests, the church, and God, McEachern wrote. Last month, the Supreme Court of Newfoundland and Labrador approved the sale of 13 Catholic churches to pay for the settlement of damage claims by sexual abuse victims at an orphanage operated by the Christian Brothers. And their wine's no good either. And, in a separate story, Father James Martin of the Jesuits said he was sorry this week for not having been clearer about the sins and crimes of Archbishop Rembert Weakland. I know. It just... Novelists can never come up with names as 
fun as Rembert Weekland, spelled exactly the right way. In an earlier tweet in, uh, noting the death of Weekland, a Benedictine and retired prelate, prelate. Last night, many people were angered by two tweets about Archbishop Weekland, said Father Martin, who committed many sins and crimes. That is to say, Weekland is saying this about uh, Father Martin is saying this about Archbishop Weekland, and who died at uh, 95. Obviously, I condemn his covering up of sex abuse and his paying out hush money, said Martin, an editor-at-large for America, a Jesuit magazine. I can see how people thought I was downplaying or even ignoring his sins and crimes. I'm sorry for not being clearer about that. Martin had tweeted about Weekland's death earlier in the week, saying, An erudite scholar, gifted pastor, and Benedictine abbot primate, his legacy was marred by revelations that he paid money to a man with whom he had been in a relationship. I considered him a friend and mourn his loss. Unquote. Weekland resigned as Milwaukee's archbishop in 2002, after revelations that the Archdiocese had paid $450,000 to silence an adult seminarian with whom he had had a sexual relationship. Part of a pretrial settlement over a lawsuit. Um, the partner, quote-unquote, of Weekland characterized the sexual encounters with Weekland which took place in the early 1980s, as date rape. Weekland said he began having homosexual relationships after his concentration. Consecration. He dissented from the church's teaching on the immorality of sodomy and the impossibility of the priestly ordination of women. His own sexual abuse and his poor handling of abuse by other priests led to the renaming a couple of years ago of the Weekland Center which holds the offices of the Cathedral of St. John the Evangelist. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. know about some of the bad weather news going around. Brazil forest fires hit a nearly 15-year high this week. Highest number for any 24-hour period since 2007. And it's winter down there. But the Texas drought unveiled the path of an ancient dinosaur. Footprints from dinosaur that lived 113 million years ago. 
were revealed in a dried wet riverbed last week, so we know where Governor Ab- uh, Abbott gets his ideas. And with that little piece of snark, we end this week's edition of the show. Back next week at the same time over these same radio stations on your audio device whenever you want it. A tip of the show, Chef Ho, to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh here at WWNO for help with today's broadcast. The email address for the show your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts and the music playlist all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. Get some sleep, won't you? So long from the Prussian city.